excited to share this with you guys tonight. Um, really, as we've been going through this series, and the Lord put it on my heart, and I've been studying, this part, what I'm sharing tonight, is what the Lord really used to, like, move in my life, and um, it kind of, like, wrecked me, and it really got me thinking, and the Lord really did a lot in my life through this, and so I'm excited to share probably even more than the others about this. Um, but so, if you guys remember last week, we were in Luke 15, and we were looking at the parable of the prodigal, right? And we talked about the younger brother. We'll reread it in a minute, so if you weren't here, you forgot, because there's been a whole week since that. We'll reread it in a minute. We talked about the younger brother and this amazing thing that we call grace. We kind of started to talk about what grace is. And if you remember when we said prodigal, so a lot of times this is called the parable of the prodigal son, right? It could really be the parable of the sons, because there's two sons in the story, and we can learn something from each of them. Um, but then we also learned that the word prodigal could be applied to God, because it means um, first spending money or resources freely or recklessly, wastefully extravagant, which is like cool, that kind of goes with our worship tonight, right? <laughs> recklessly extravagant. Um, ha- and then second, it means having or giving something on a lavish scale. And I think when we think of it in that sense, God is prodigal towards us in that, like, he gives his son, he loves us, and like, we don't deserve it. Not one of us deserve it. Yet he does. And it's not reckless in the sense that, like, he's not thinking about it, but it is reckless in the sense that, like, we don't deserve it. He gives it anyways. And he gives his love, like, freely and completely. And he doesn't expect anything in return. Right? And I don't know about what you guys, but, like, when you make an investment, do you hope for a return? Right? Whether you invest money or time or energy, like, you want something back, but God just, he gives himself away. I think that's really neat. Um, so we looked at the younger son in the story. And now tonight we're going to talk about the older son and a few things that like we can learn and apply to our lives from the story um, that we didn't cover last week. But so we'll start in the parable, Luke 15, verse 11, if you've got your paper Bible. Um, it says, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them the story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share in your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. Remember we talked about Last week, that's really disrespectful. He's saying, like, Dad, you're, you're as good to me as dead. And if you were dead, I'd be better off because then I could have your stuff. Like, this is really disrespectful. Um, but the father doesn't, like, cast him out right. He doesn't disown him. Instead, he divides it up. Um, and then it tells us in the story, a few days later, this younger son packed up all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am, dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father... I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he figures out, right, I've screwed this up. I've, I've done real bad, um, and it would be better off if I went home, right? So he's rehearsing his speech, 
and he finally gets it together and he's ready to face his pops, and so he heads back. And it says, um, but his father, wait, so he returned home to his father, right? And while he was a long way off, his father saw him coming. So that means the father was like watching. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. And he said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. So here he starts the speech. But his father said to him, to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet, and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate a feast. For the son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. And that, you guys, could be considered act one, right? We have in Jesus' parable, a parable in two acts, right? Act one, the younger son, he, he, he disrespects the dad. He goes and takes the money, he wastes it all, decides to come home. And the father, like, meets him, welcomes him back, which he didn't have to, right? He didn't have to welcome him back, but he does. And he throws a big party. He says, my son was lost, but now he's found. That's act one, okay? And now we're going to like look at Act 2 and we're going to talk about Act 2 tonight. It says, meanwhile, that's how we know we're at Act 2. Meanwhile, right? The older son was in the fields working. When he returned, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fatty calf. We're celebrating because of the safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatty calf. His father said to him, Look, dear son, you've always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Um, and so we kind of see that the older brother's attitude, is it good? No, he got an nasty attitude, right? And we can tell that even though the father did not disown the younger son, right? The brother, the way he talks about his little brother, he says, that son of yours. He's like, you know, my brother has spent all the money and ruined our family name. He says, that son of yours, right? And, and, you know, like, I don't know about you guys, but we understand that, right? Like, sometimes it's something and it's ours, and then all of a sudden, it's yours, right? Like, we have a dog. She's cute. She's a mess. She's the weirdest thing in the whole world, right? <laughs> and, like, when she was a puppy, it was our puppy, you know, and then the puppy would make a mess, and the kids would be like, Mom, Dad, your dog, right? And the puppy make a bigger mess, and that would be like your dog, because she really, she's my dog, I wanted her, right? But all of a sudden, it's my dog, right? <laughs> it's not everybody's dog. It's, you know, and I think in that sense, it's fair, but like in family, like you can't, it's only like that, right? It's like that son of yours, like he's not a son of his too, and they're not related. Um, so we see his attitude is really bad. Um, so as we're starting to look at this, we're going to consider, and you guys, um, just as a resource, I read a lot. If you don't know that, most of you probably know that. If you don't know that, I read a lot. Um, and so as I was preparing this, I looked at Tim Keller's book, The Prodigal God. And a lot of like 
what I say tonight, our thoughts that he presents there. If you want more on this and you want it to be said even better than I can say it, you know, read Tim Keller. Um, we'll quote him a few times throughout this, but a lot of the thoughts come from that. So, like, excellent resource. And if this kind of, like, pricks your heart and challenges you, like, get the book, read it. Cool. Um, Tim Keller says about this parable, Jesus' parable has created something of a crisis for the thoughtful listener. He has vividly portrayed both of the world's two spiritual paths, the basic ways each offers for finding happiness, relating to God, and dealing with problems. However, he exposes them both as profoundly mistaken as dead ends. Right? And so what he's saying is the younger brother and the older brother, they expose two ways that we try and live life on our own. Right? That we try to be our own savior, that we try to make our own way in the world, right? And a lot of times we we can see this in the younger brother like it's like I'm gonna be my own man, I'm gonna get my money, I'm gonna go off and do my thing, right? And so we have like the reckless, like party life, right? But then the other way that man tries to be his own savior and have his own way is is usually through religion. It's like following all the rules, doing all the things right, getting everything perfect, because then we're in control, right, of our own destiny. And Jesus is saying that both of these are wrong and neither one works. Um, There are two kinds of people and each of them represents a different way to be alienated and far from God. A different way to try and seek acceptance into the kingdom of heaven. Right? So we see that in the younger son, but a lot of times if we read this parable, and I've heard it, you guys, I've heard people teach on this parable a lot, but a lot of times, like, the focus is on the younger son because it's like, act one, happy, right? And then act two, we're like, oh, he's kind of a curmudgeon, and I don't really know. So we just leave the older brother a lot of times out, or we don't like to think about him, but the older brother is showing us the other way that we try and get to God. Um, and this is important because you have to consider in the context of this parable, you guys say context is everything. Okay, so when you read the Bible, context is everything. So if you read a paragraph, that's great, and I'm so proud you read your Bible. But then, like, go and read, like, the paragraph before it and after it, right? Or, like, read the beginning of, like, that book of the Bible, and at the end of it, figure out what's happening, because context is everything. So Jesus is telling this parable in response to the Pharisees, right? So as we read it, Jesus is responding to something the Pharisees have said, and what the Pharisees have said is that he spends all his time with tax collectors and sinners. And so they, they point out, Jesus, you spend all your time with tax collectors and sinners, and so as a response to that, we get this story, and the two that come before it, which we'll look at in a minute. But so when Jesus is sharing this, he's responding to the Pharisees, right? So then, like, one could possibly assume that, like, He's not solely preaching to the younger brother types in the crowd, right? And if we were to look at this whole parable and say, who in this parable resembles the Pharisees the most? It might be the older brother, which means that the older brother, for us to really understand what Jesus is teaching, is like key. Um, So that's why we're looking at him. So Jesus is teaching this to the Pharisees, and it's because of their attitude about him spending time with these tax collectors and sinners. Um... So this parable, it takes an extended look at the soul of the older brother. And then at the very end, right, the crescendo of the story is a plea for this older brother 
right? Not the younger brother, plead for the older brother to change his heart. All right, the father's saying, like, come in. Come into the feast. Come celebrate. And, and it ends with just this plea, and then it's just like, we don't, we don't get to hear what he did, right? Which is a little bit of a cliffhanger. And I imagine, as Jesus told other parables, they usually conclude the audience is a little like, you know. And so it's kind of, he leaves it that way um, to make us pause and think about it and, and be like, but what, you know. Um, and I think it's the way he does that is so that his original listeners and then us who hear after through reading the word, right, will like pause and be like, so what happens is the older brother? And it's Tanny's there, right? And the unspoken question is, what happens with the older brother? Because he's speaking to older brothers, right? And so he kind of like leaves it there because it's like, well, you're him, so you answer the question. What are you going to do? And, and it just hangs there. But I think sometimes we, we don't realize that when we first read it, so hence pointing it out. Um, Jesus is trying to show that the older brother's heart was wrong. And so we talked about last week that for the younger son, like he goes, but then the father like runs out to meet him. And he didn't have to read out, run out to meet him. And the ancient Near East culture, like the patriarch of the family, so like the old dude that's like in charge of the family, like he was esteemed highly. He wouldn't, like, go out, right? Like, for him to go out is for him to, like, kind of, like, lose honor. But he goes out to the younger son, and he runs to him and embraces him, right? And so he lays aside his own honor to restore the son. Well, like, here we have the same patriarch, and he goes out again. He shouldn't have had to go out the first time, but he's gone out twice to both sons. He goes out to the second son, and um, this son also acts disrespectfully right like in this culture of like honor and shame he's like well your son did this and you've never given me a party you know and, and like that was that was incredibly disrespectful that's disrespectful now but then like if you put it in the context of then like he also could have been disowned for speaking to his father like this um and so not only did the younger brother just want what he could gain from the father. Turns out older brother did too. Right? Because he's saying, well, I did this, and I did this, and I did this. So, like, why don't you treat me good? Where, what do I get? Right? And at the bottom of all of the older brothers thinks that he's done right for the father, it's so he can get. Right? It's not for the father to, like, please his father and, and to love his family. It's for what he can get. And so his heart's kind of revealed. Um, so Tim Keller says this about it. Jesus' story reveals the destructive self-centeredness of younger brother, but it also condemns the elder brother's moralistic life in the strongest terms. Jesus is saying that both the irreligious and the religious are spiritually lost. Both life paths are dead ends, and every thought the human race has had about how to connect with God has been wrong. So that's what he's saying in this parable. He's like, this way, dead end. This way, dead end. And so, like, then we get to understand the way that Jesus creates for us to get to God, which is the way that actually works. Cool. And so, as we're talking through the rest of this night, I want you guys to, like, sit and be thinking, which brother do I resemble? Right? Do I resemble one of them? Am I the one that, like, wants to go my own way and do my own thing? Or am I the one that, like, follows all the rules and does all the good things and serves at all the places? that God has to give me the gold star, 
right? Because neither of those are actually going to work for us. Um, and I think really, like, as I started to consider the older brother, not that it's that clear-cut for me, but man, like, some of those attitudes, like, they creep in and they get in my heart. And so I had to repent and be like, God, um, I need you to cure my own heart, right? In this parable, Jesus is asking us to be open to the possibility that real Christianity, right? So we use the word Christian a lot. America's a Christian nation. I don't know about that. Um, you know, but we use the word Christian a lot. But real Christianity, okay, is very different than religion. Real Christianity is something completely other than just follow these rules and do these things and act like this nice person and dress this way. Like, that's not real Christianity. Um, so how do we know if we have older brother tendencies, right? Like, how do we know? Um, well, un- other bro- older brothers have an undercurrent of anger towards the circumstances. We see that, right? In this guy. Like, we see him get angry. He's like, uh-uh, I'm not going in that party. Elder brothers hold grudges long and bitterly. Right? This is where, oh, this is where the book started stuff on my toes, right? Elder brothers look down at people of other races, religions, and lifestyles. Elder brothers experience life as joyless drudgery, right? Elder brothers have little intimacy or joy when they spend time in prayer with God, right? There's no joy for prayer because it's just a duty. Um, And elder brothers have deep insecurity that makes them overly sensitive to criticism and rejection. But it also makes them fierce and merciless in condemning others. So I don't know about you guys, but when I really started to like break that down, I'm like, sometimes I hold grudges, right? And like sometimes when people criticize me, you know, I'm not like, oh, thank you for pointing that out. Um, no, I'm like, why are you coming to me? You know, <laughs> and I'm like, um, like man, the fire. And then I'm like, oh but I don't want to look like this guy, right? And so that was, that was really, as I was reading and studying, I was like, ouch, ouch, I don't like this, and now I need to go repent. Um, and so, like, just be thinking about that. Like, which brother, you know, which brother do I resemble? Because we, we don't want to resemble this, the younger brother, and I think, like, at least within Chi because we're, like, trying to do the Christian thing, um, we kind of know, like, it's, it's at least like we shouldn't resemble the younger brother. We might, but we know we shouldn't. But the older brother, man, we so easily get caught up in, but if I follow these, these rules and I show up at all the Kyle events and I go search the homeless and I do, you know, then like Jesus is proud of me. And like, that's not relationship with Jesus. That's not what he's after. And that's really important because it is so easy for us when we're doing the Christian life to get caught up in that and think that, we have intimacy with God, and we really don't. Um, and so, as we look at this too, Jesus deliberately left someone out of this parable. He deliberately left somebody out of this story. Because if you look at the whole chapter of Luke 15, which we're going to go in a second, there's three parables in a row, right? The first one is the lost sheep. The second one is the lost coin. The third one is the prodigal son. Or we could just say the lost sons, Right? Um, and so we're going to look at the first two. You guys listen. Listen for what's missing in the third one, okay? The first one is the parable of the lost sheep. It says this. 
Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach, and this made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Just what we talked about a minute ago. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice in me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Right? So he tells the story and like, dude has 100 sheep. One gets lost, so he leaves the 99, knowing they'll be okay They're in a big pack. And he goes and he searches for the one until he brings it back. And there's party, right? So that's parable of lost sheep. We could teach on that, but for sake of time, like, you know, you can read it again later. Ponder it in prayer with the Lord. He'll teach you. It's good. Um, second one, parable of the lost coin. Luke 15, 8 through 10. So he tells this one, and he says, or, so we can tell this is like all one, all one thing, okay? Or, suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call her friends and neighbors and say, rejoice with me because I've found my lost coin. In the same way, there's joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. Um... And so, like, in their culture, women would have a, dow- a dowry, right? And, like, this ten coins would be that. And so she's, like, lost part of, like, her, her dowry. Like, this is really important, you know. So she would, like, tear the house up, find in this thing. Um, but, like, so coin gets lost. Girl goes search for it until she finds it. And then she, she calls all her neighbor girls and she's like, coins, right? Because um, girls, like, what do you do when you lose something real important? Right? Like, you pick up the phone, and you're like, girl, like, pray for me. I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, we're social, okay? Ladies are social. Okay, first one, dude loses a sheep. He just goes to find it. (laughs) The second one, girl loses a coin, and, like, somehow, everybody knows. Um, It's just like, (laughs) it's what it is. Um, Right? So what do these first two parables have in common? The the parable of the prodigal doesn't. Yeah, and he gets it. Okay. So in the first two, somebody goes out and looks for what's lost, right? In the first two, somebody goes out and looks for what's lost. In the parable of the prodigal, nobody goes out. And if you were listening and Jesus were sitting there and he's telling you these three stories and they all go together, you were listening carefully, you would think, why didn't anybody go for the sun, Right? And, and some commentators have said, because he's human, and so we got to, like, come to things on our own. And, but I, I don't think it's that. I really don't think it's that. I think that there's somebody that was supposed to go look for the sun, and it didn't go. And Jesus intends for it to kind of hang there, and then to think about it. Because remember who he's talking to, okay? Um, and so, somebody's supposed to go look for him, and they don't, right? Um... And so we're going to talk about what we need and then who we need. Because when we talk about who we need, it's going to answer this question of, like, who was supposed to go, right? Who was supposed to go look for the sun? So what do we need? The first thing we need 
is God's love or God's initiating love. In the story of the prodigal, the father goes out to each son, right? Each one. The father goes out to the son. Um, the first one, it's like Wally's a long way off, and then he goes out to the older one to bring him in. Um, and like, so Tim Keller says it this way, it's not repentance that causes the father's love, but rather the reverse. The father's love makes the younger son's expression of remorse easier. So it's like the father expresses love first. Right? Like, he's already running before the son's like, Dad, I messed up, I need a job. Like, I mean, the father's already, the love is already coming, right? And so God loves us first, and then, and then that makes repentance, like, so much easier. Um, the father also goes out to this angry brother and begs him to come in. And um, you guys, like, that's, that's powerful, because the, the son's saying, I've never done anything wrong. He's <laughs> like... You're not listening now. No. But, but the father's not like that. He's kind, right? And he's like, son, come in. Your brother's back. Like, he's come back. He's been gone. Come back. And, and it's hard for us to understand, but, like, the older brother, he's mad. And he doesn't want to come in. And if we consider that the older brother is, like, a picture of the Pharisees, you guys, this is a picture of Jesus pleading with his deadliest enemies, right? Because who, who was it that, like, had him put on trial? That ultimately led to his death, right? Jesus is pleading with his deadliest enemies um, to, to come home, right? Um, he's pleading in love with them. And so um, the elder brother here, his spiritual problem is the insecurity that he has. And basically, he's basing what he says to the father on his own achievements, on his self-image and his performance. And he has to, like, prop himself up, right? He's got to look, like, righteous. He's got to look like, I've done all this stuff. Um, and he's sitting there looking down on, on the younger brother the whole time, right? But I think this quote is up there. And I think this is really powerful. Um, it says, to find God, we must repent of the things we've done wrong. But if that's all you do, you may remain just an older brother. To truly become a Christian, we, we must also repent of the reasons we ever did anything right. And you guys, like, that was powerful to me. Because, like, a lot of times we know we do wrong, right? In theology, you call that, like, a sin of commission. Like, you did it, right? But then, like, sometimes there's, like, omission, right? Where you didn't do right. Or you could do right, but you could do it for the wrong reasons. Um, so we also have to repent of the reasons we ever did anything right. We need to repent of sin that's under our sins and the motives that are under the things that we do right when they're not just for God, right? If there's something you're doing that's like churchy or religious or for Jesus, but like in here it's not for God, um, like when you stand before God face to face, he'll be like, you didn't do that for me, right? You didn't do that for me. Um, and so if we're still trying to be our own Savior and Lord, right, and like by doing good things, we're trying to be our own Savior and Lord, we're not truly trusting Jesus as Savior and Lord, right? So the first thing we need is God's love, which we have, he loves all, all of us. Um, and then who we need. So like we said, somebody goes out in all the other parables, um, and Jesus is prompting us to ask, who's supposed to go out and get the younger brother? Who's supposed to? Um, and so, you guys, 
this can also be connected with another question that like in this in this parable, like if the son is going to be brought back in, right? He's going to be forgiven. That has to do with atonement. And, and like all this stuff he's done, he's wasted all this money, he's dishonored the family. He's going to be forgiven, right? Who pays for that? And I asked my life group, I don't know if they found the answer. Who pays for that? Like, who pays, right? Guy went out and he dishonored the family. He's going to be brought, brought back in. And well, think about it. The father's already divided the estate between the brothers. So why is the older brother mad? We started to understand this. If the father's already divided his estate, the older brother would have got two-thirds. The younger brother would have got one-third. So, like, one-third of all the family, like, money, all of it, gone. Right? Yet, this father is like, come on, younger son, come back into the family. Who pays? The older brother, right? Who pays? Um, yeah, and so I think it's really interesting because it's like one of those things the hearers would have understood, but like we read it and we don't understand it at all. But I think it's really important to note that out because in redemption, like when somebody's redeemed, when somebody's forgiven, there's always a cost. There's always a cost. Um, and so that's true here. Um, it's only at the elder brother's expense that the younger brother is going to be bought, brought back. Because as Jesus said, the father divided up his property between them before the younger son had left. Everything had already been assigned. Um, and so here's an example, right? Like, if Anna, she's wanting to learn guitar, right? She's like, Jackie, can I borrow your guitar? I want to I wanna play on it. And so she hops up there after Pi Alpha, and she's playing my guitar, and she drops it because the strap breaks or something. Right? It's broken. Right? And it busts apart and it's like real sad. And that thing is like my fourth child. So, uh, like, I mean, there's tears involved. We're really sad. Anna has broken my guitar. Well, it's like, Anna could pay a fix the guitar. Right? Or I could forgive her. And it would be nice of me to forgive her. But, like, even if I forgive Anna for breaking my guitar, it's still broken. Right? So to get another whole guitar is going to cost. Does this make sense? And so like, like forgiveness, it costs something. Um, mercy and forgiveness must be free and unmerited to the wrongdoer. If the wrongdoer has to do something to merit it, then it isn't mercy. But forgiveness always comes at a cost to the one granting forgiveness. So forgiveness is always going to come at a cost. The first half of the story of the prodigal shows us how far the father goes out the younger son and freely forgives them. The second half makes us realize the costliness of this action. The younger brother's restoration was free to him, right? It's free to him, but it would be at enormous cost to the younger brother, or the older brother, sorry. Jesus does not put a true elder brother in this story, one who is willing to pay any cost to seek and save that which was which is lost, right? Because really, like, the picture is the older brother should have gone to get him and instead he doesn't and he doesn't rejoice when he when he returns and like why? because like it would cost something right Um, so Jesus doesn't put a true elder brother in the story he doesn't put a brother in the story who's willing to pay any cost to seek and save his lost younger brother and it's heartbreaking the younger son gets a Pharisee for a brother instead 
But here's the cool thing, we don't. We don't, and I think that's what we're supposed to understand there is we don't. Instead, we get Jesus, all of us, because if we trust on Christ, we're adopted into God's family, we get Jesus as our older brother. And Jesus, what did he do? He went to seek and save the lost, right? He left heaven, which I don't know about you guys, but like heaven is perfect and great and holy, and there's not things like sin and hurtful people, right? He left that, and he came to earth, and he lived among people who were not nice to him. That's not, like, you can read about it. They're not, like, people are not nice to him. Even the situation, he's telling this story, and, and he's telling it in hopes that these Pharisees, their heart will wake up, and they'll be like, oh, okay, we need to follow him too. You know, he's pleading with these people, knowing that these very same people, some of them, maybe exactly the same faces, are going to lead to his death. He's still pleading with them. Like, man, Jesus went to seek and save the lost. And he wasn't afraid to pay the cost, because we read that he was whipped and he was beaten within an inch of his life, and then he hung on a cross and died. Right? I think, y'all... You can say bringing a younger brother back is going to cost a family estate and like a family name a lot, but like nothing costs as much as like being whipped and beaten and hung on, hung on a cross to die. And like not only, I mean, we talk about the death, but like if you really read it and you really start to understand what that implies, it's like when Jesus was on the cross, he bore the sins of all humanity, right? Which is like a lot. It's it's more than we can comprehend, but it's like. So there's like the agony of death, there's the agony of bearing all of our sins, there's the agony of being like in those, those moments like separated from the presence of God the Father. Like Jesus bore some agony, he was willing to pay that cost for us, right? And um, Philippians 2, it puts it this way, I think it's a really good way, um, that it explains like what Christ gave up for us. In Philippians, Paul says this, You must have the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Though he was God, he did not think equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his privileges, and he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare, Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Y'all, he's God, and he was willing to humble himself and become a man and live and die among us, for us. Like, that's incredible love, right? That's being willing to pay any cost. And then when we realize, right, when we realize what Jesus was willing to pay for us, and how incredible that is, right? Then when we look at somebody else, right? Because he didn't just pay for me, right? He didn't just pay for me. He, he did this for all of us. So when I look at somebody else, man, I'm like, they might hurt me, but God loved them enough that he died on a cross for them, this hurtful person, right? And it's like when I realize I'm so loved, I'm like, well, if Jesus loved me enough that he died for me, and Jesus loved them enough he died for them, who am I to, like, hold grudges, right? And who am I to, like, be unwilling to, to pay the cost of, of reaching others? And, and it kind of makes all of that Pharisee 
that's in our own hearts fall away when we really understand. Um, right? And so when we realize how freely we're forgiven, it makes us free to forgive others. We realize how much mercy has been extended to us then we extend it to others. And so the call isn't just to understand like the huge love that Jesus paid for us and, and the price of that, right? But then Jesus says so many times, come follow me, right? Well, where's that following? It's like we give ourselves away, right? And I think, like we sang earlier, we saying like, over, oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God that chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99, right? What if, what if as God's people, we got that inside of us so much that that wasn't just the characteristic of what Jesus did for us, but it was the characteristic of High Off of Memphis. That, like, we all love recklessly, right? We all leave the 99 to chase down the one, right? We all go love those people that they can't earn it. They don't deserve it, right? And, like, sometimes when somebody really hurts you, they don't deserve it. Okay, I didn't deserve Christ's love either. But like, what if that were true of us? That we love in that way because we realize that Christ has loved us. Because um, that's what it's saying in Philippians. He's saying, you must have the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. And then he explains this awesome Jesus. And like, every time I read that passage, I'm like, Jesus, you're so good. But the call there is, is Jesus saying, cool, be like me. Right? right? And it's like, I'm like, you're so amazing like, that you would give this, Lord that you would come to earth, that you would live, that you would die. Like, you, you belong in heaven, but you came here. And, and like, the call at the very beginning of that is, cool, be like me. Have that same attitude. Have that same humility, which is, like, really fitting that we prayed for that for collegiate, collegiate day of prayer. So when we're loved a lot, right, we realize that we're, we're loved a lot, we'll love in return, right? We realize that we're forgiven a lot, we'll forgive others. And I think that um, when we talk about prodigal grace, right, that the heart God wants to give is like, so God is prodigal towards us. He lavishly extends his love to us and his grace to us through what Jesus did. But then he's calling us also to be prodigal like him, like the father in the story, that we would like lavishly and recklessly love others. Um, so we're going to pray in a second. But as we kind of think about the older brother thing, just for a second, let these thoughts sink in. If you're unloving, it can be fine in your own life, you're unloving, that might indicate you don't really truly know how loved you are. Right? If you find, I have this unloving attitude all the time, like maybe you need to take that to the Lord. And instead of being like, Lord, people don't love me, right? Because when we take things to the Lord, a lot of times we, we like, go at it whining first, right? We're human. Um, instead of being like, people don't love me, be like, Jesus, show me that you love me. Like, help me to really know it. Because a lot of times, like, we know it, but it doesn't, like, sink in to, like, the depths of who we are and, like, change our identity and how we view ourselves, right? So, like, Jesus, help me to really know you love me. Um, if you're unmerciful... Do you truly understand the mercy God has for you? If you're tight-fisted, like if you're always holding on to your stuff, do you really understand that all you have is a gift from the Lord? Right? And sometimes y'all were like, that's not true. Like I work hard. I go to class. I do. Right? But you have breath in your lungs and your body works. And you woke up this morning and your feet carried you where they need to go. Right? 
And like, God didn't have to do any of that. He really didn't have to do any of that. And so like, even on the worst day, I'm like, I'm breathing, I woke up. And, and like, sometimes you guys, I'm having a real bad day. Like, I start to thank the Lord is something that Matt talked about before. Like, I start to thank the Lord so I can get my attitude right. And it's like, I'll be like, <laughs> like, I'm like, I'm breathing. Thank you. I slept in a bed. Thank you. But you know, at some point I get to that place where I'm like, man, but this morning I ran by a homeless guy and like, he didn't sleep in bed. So for real, thank you. You know, and it's like when we really stop to think like, we don't have to have any of that. Like every single thing we have, like it's a gift from the Lord. Um, so yeah, if you find that you have any of those like tendencies or attitudes in your heart, like take them to the Lord and be like, God, show me how much you've given me and show me how much mercy you've poured out on me. Show me your grace. Show me your love. Um, and ask him to like really reveal that to you because when he reveals it to us, then it like becomes a part of who we are, right? And he helps us to understand it more. So God has loved us in Christ with this prodigal love. It's extravagant. It's reckless. It's lavish. And I think he's calling us to love others with that same love so that they can find him, Right? Because like with the younger son, it's the father that goes out first, right? The father goes after him. He don't wait for him to come back. Have to walk into the house in front of all the servants and all the rest of the family. And get down on his knees and grovel. And like to be honest with you, sometimes in Christianity, that's what we do. We're like, well, if they want to know Jesus, they'll come to Kaiapha. Or they'll walk up in my church. Y'all, I was lost once. And let me tell you, there was no way when I was lost, I was about to walk up into any church full of, like, people, and be able, like, I couldn't, I deal with social anxiety, like, I, like, I couldn't, I was like, I can't, you know, like, sometimes we need somebody to go, and I think God's calling us to be the person that goes, because when we go, then that makes it so easy to be like, oh, I need that, right, and so I love, like, what Chris is initiating with, like, going out and sharing the gospel, and, like, well, one of you guys prayed tonight, now I can't remember which one, but, like, just <laughs> talking about, like, just talking to the people, that, it must have been, Devante, because she prayed for Memphis, um, talking to people in our class, you know, and it's like, they sit next to us, like, man, that's a, that's an easy go, that's like, <laughs> you know, you don't even have to take any steps if you're sitting next to them, you know, like, but, but God's calling us to go and to share that love so that they can find his grace. Um, and you guys, let us not, when we find ourselves in a situation like this older brother, let those around us meet a Pharisee. Right? When we find ourselves in a situation where we're like, you know, because the father, the father kind of does it, right? The father does it to him. He's like, we're welcoming him back into the family. And he's like, that's my inheritance, right? But like, let's be real. A lot of times Father God is like, oh, Jackie will love you. And I'm like, I have no free time, no money, no, like, you know, like, but, but man, like, I don't want him to meet a Pharisee. Right? I want them to eventually meet the real older brother, which is Jesus. It means like, I need to love, and I need to love freely. You know, and like, sometimes that hurts, but like, they don't need to know, they don't need to see an attitude. I can just be like, it's cool. Cause like, it's still my father too, so like, he, he can provide and take care, provide more time, right? So let us demonstrate this love of God. Um, so we're gonna pray, okay? And we're gonna pray for three things because it just kind of like flows out of this. The first one is, if you don't know Jesus at all, you're, you're saying like, man, I need to know 
Jesus as, as the true older brother that's died on the cross and forgive me my sins and I need to start that relationship with him. If that's you, we want to pray about that, okay? Because that's the most important decision you can ever make. The second one is if you're struggling with the older brother mentalities, so you're like, man, I do hold grudges. I do struggle with judging others. I do really struggle with like giving myself away, you know, when I don't feel like somebody deserves it. We want to pray for that, right? Um, and like, I'm in that group, okay? So if you raise your hand on that, I'm like right here with you all week. I've been like praying for you and asking the Lord to like get some of this stuff out of my heart because I've seen it there. Um, and the third one is just if God's calling you to love with prodigal love. Okay, here's the deal. I'm going to pray that for all of us. This is me God to call us to love with prodigal love. Cool. Um, those are the three things we're going to pray about. Salvation, big bro mentalities, and then God calling us to love with prodigal love. So you guys will bow your heads and close your eyes. Lord, we love you and we just thank you. We thank you, Jesus, that you're willing to give yourself away. That you're willing to seek and save us when we are lost and without you. And God, we pray that you would move in our lives, that we can know you, Lord. We pray you move in our lives, that we wouldn't have bad attitudes. And God, that we would love um, others with just as, as lavish and prodigal and reckless to love as you loved us. In Jesus' name.